Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the jazz session is available for free anytime you want to listen at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is、uh, my friend James Ship. He、uh, and Joe Laurie are partners.、Uh, Joe has been on the show previously, and I met them both at the Tanglewood Jazz Festival in 2008、uh, over Labor Day weekend. And sometimes you just meet people, and you know immediately that、uh, your life is going to be better for it. And、uh, meeting Joe and James was an example of that. And as it turns out, they're also both stellar musicians. So in addition to just wanting to be friends with them because they're cool. Uh, it also keeps me in touch with a lot of interesting things that are happening、uh, in and around the New York scene.、Uh, James has produced an album that I think you're going to find really fascinating. That is a mixture of、uh, an in- incredibly diverse number of styles of music, kind of rooted in Irish traditional music,、uh, that features improvisation and Brazilian influences thrown in, and all distilled through James's singular musical vision. We recorded this interview in a minivan outside an Irish pub, and、uh, if you want to hear what an interview recorded in those circumstances sounds like, this is the one right here. Guest is James Ship, and we are—I、uh, would say—in the James Ship studio right now,、uh, recording this episode of the Jazz Session.、Uh, thank you for allowing me into your inner sanctum.、Here. Oh, my pleasure. We're in my minivan, where <laughs> sometimes I—I was—I'm convinced I was born, and I'm fairly sure I'll die. <laughs> I hope that's not prophetic. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, I wasn't going to tell you until the end of the interview. Oh, hey, Bernard, this is the part where we're recording the show. You cannot speak again. All right. <laughs> 
Ready? <laughs> That's my son, Bernie, which I will edit out, probably him yelling and me yelling at him because I don't want to sound like, you know, a horrible human being. I didn't bring any of my own. kids to the interview <laughs> exactly right. I'm, I'm such a pro at this. <laughs> Uh, well, so we're here uh, to talk about your fantastic band uh, and new album, and I-, I was trying to think about how I would describe it in the intro to the show, and I realized that I really, I really can't do it justice. So, will you talk about the genesis of Nostovu? Oh man, I was I was really hoping you could do it. Um, <laughs> Nostovu is um, my attempt to take all of the influences I've been working with, sort of since I got to New York and apply them to Irish music and Irish music to them. My, uh, I, I'm sure my grasp of Irish music is, is not as in-depth as yours, but my understanding of it is that it, it traditionally has not allowed for an enormous amount of um, kind of structural interpretation. I mean, songs, particularly to allow sessions to occur, songs have a particular determined form and pattern. Uh, are you kind of trying to, to kind of push past some of those boundaries that are imposed on the music? Well, for, for my own band, sure. You know, I, I always say that I, I love Irish music so much exactly the way it is. And were I just able to play it, I would probably do that. But uh, I, I have this band, uh, and yeah, in the band we're doing we're other things with it. And sure, we sort of roll things open for solos, and we'll leave kind of open spaces in between sections for sort of improvising. I find, because Irish music is structurally and melodically and harmonically so strong, it's sort of like Thelonious Monk's music. Like, you can just bash it and just just rip it up and knock it apart, and it just it just instantly becomes what it is again. It's like a Kalashnikov. You know, you can just take it through the mud and it'll just still fire, so... That's what I've been doing to it, I suppose. <laughs> Will you talk about some of the other things that you're bringing into it? Well, um, I've been studying a lot of Brazilian music mm. over the past, uh, I would say, five or six years. I've been playing a lot of pandeiro and a lot of just Brazilian percussion instruments. And I've, on vibes, I've been playing a lot of choro and, and baião. Tell people and, what these things are. Oh, them. sorry. So choro is, is, is sort of um, pre-samba it's some people call it like Brazilian bluegrass. They're these almost polkas that were brought over from uh, Eastern Europe into Brazil and introduced to the African rhythms in Brazil. Okay. And so Choro was born. And uh, Bayão, yeah, it's that's a rhythm in the northeast of Brazil, all over. It goes uh, so when people think of Brazilian music, they generally think of like one, two, samba, and that stuff's great. Uh, a lot of the influences in my band are more based on the northern parts of Brazil, where they have this more sort of broken up rhythm. So does it take uh, some shifting of the traditional rhythms on either end of that spectrum to either the Irish side or the Brazilian side to make those things come together? Well, sure, sure a bit. Um, like I said, the melodies are so solid that you can really rhythmically attack them in a lot of ways. And they're, they're so sort of continuous. It's just like machine gun fire. So you can really... I'm talking a lot about machine guns. Jeff, so I'm sorry, I, I noticed that, yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're spitting so many notes at you that, that you can do a lot of syncopation and they don't get obscured at all. Mm. Um, also, the, the way that Irish drummers play is they play much more with the melody. You know, if the melody's going bam ba dum ba dum dum ba ba they'll just go So it's not as much about playing a groove that the melody goes over as actually sort of playing the melody with the players. And uh, Brazilian music is a that because bit other instruments are maintaining 
the groove instead, or because it's kind of implied? That's because everybody's playing the groove, mm. you know? Um, when I play with Irish musicians, it's so easy and so daunting because they're all just playing drums. So it's like, if you just go with them, you sound great. And if you step out of line, you sound terrible because it's so cl- they're playing the groove so well that it could not be more apparent that you're not. Coming from your perspective as someone who's really well-versed in improvised music also, which allows for, well, not limitless freedom, but certainly allows for an incredible amount of freedom, uh, was that something you had to, to train yourself to restrain when you started playing, kind of in this, like, the Irish session format? Or? It, it was, but I had the... I was sort of helped out by the fact that I was incredibly intimidated by these guys. <laughs> like, I just sort of walked in, and I knew I loved this music, and I knew... Um, I, I knew that actually Bauron players, Bauron is the Irish frame drum, uh, there's a real reputation at Sessions, which are the sort of place where you play Irish music in these bars. Uh, they're very unwelcome in a lot of cases, because I guess everybody in Ireland just sort of owns one and thinks they can play it. So percussionists are, are kind of looked on with a lot of suspicion. So I went in, and, and I was told that up front, you know, and so I went in very much just trying to do the absolute minimum to make everyone very happy and to not mess up at all and i think that has been actually really good for me as a musician in general because i've been playing jazz since i was you know 18 and who's not cocky at 18 but you know when i started doing this at 24 or 25 i was a little bit more humble and just wanting to do the right thing instead of show off the uh, uh the band uh Nos Novo has some incredible musicians in it will you tell us who they are oh yes um uh, Joe Laurie sings and plays mandolin and as of late has been playing fiddle with us. Um, and Joe's my partner and just an incredible musician and an unusual singer in that she's really, really happy to be a sideman. She's really excited about doing it. She doesn't want all the attention necessarily to be on her. She just wants to do a good job with what you're asking her to do and she's amazing at it. Uh, Keith Gans plays guitar. Keith um, is Kate McGarry, the singer's husband, and he's an amazing guitarist who plays with a lot of vocalists. And I've been playing with him in Joe Laurie's band for years and years. So 
I was really excited when he said he wanted to do this. And Rogerio Boccato is a fantastic Brazilian percussionist who I wanted to get lessons with when I was first picking up Brazilian. I still want to get lessons with, but when I was first picking up Brazilian percussion, I really wanted to study with him, and I called him, and I said, I've heard you live in Connecticut, and maybe when you're on your way to the city, I live in Yonkers, could you come by? And he said, oh, no, I live in Yonkers now. And I said, really? And I, I realized I could have been yelling out the window, because he lives about two blocks away. <laughs> so the whole band, uh, up until this month when Keith moved to North Carolina, the whole band lived in Westchester, like within four or five miles of each other. So that was handy. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I don't I don't mean this as a hardball question. So uh, forgive me if I phrase Ooh. it poorly. But here it goes: Is there any danger in mixing all of these elements? In or how? Let me ask it a ni- nicer way. How do you maintain the integrity of the source musics and still create something new from them? And is maybe maintaining the integrity is not even one of the functions of the band? I don't know. Well, I have the dis- I have the distinct advantage of being uh, not Brazilian, not Irish. And not jazz. You're so, Greek, as we all know. Yes, <laughs> yes. Everyone thinks I'm Greek. Actually, Jason, everybody from about Portugal on over to Turkey thinks I'm their brother-in-law. And when I go into their restaurants, it's incredibly angry that I don't speak the language. <laughs> it's amazing. Just the, uh, the, the, the goateed men who have shouted at me in restaurant kitchens, I can't tell you. But I'm none of these things. And that's not to say that I don't respect the traditions, but I think there's so many great people in New York and elsewhere who are keeping those traditions alive. And I honestly don't think that I'd be that good at it. So I'm, I'm really happy to try to do what I think I'm good at and what I think I'm fairly uniquely equipped to do, which is to blend these things because, you know, I've listened to so much of all, all three of these musics. They're all, you know, they're all just banging around in my head. So when I hear an Irish tune, this is how these things sound. You know what I mean? Like sure. mentally, it's I'm accompanying it whether I want to or not. So, will you talk about the repertoire of the band and how you've come around? Sure. Well, um, we do some things that are are very traditionally Irish. We do a reel called uh, Bella Chandoiren that I've put some Brazilian things to, but I learned it from a Chieftains record. Uh, the Chieftains are like probably the most well-known, really traditional Irish band playing today um and we do other things by a band called planksty that i really recommend if anybody out there likes my recording even a little bit or thinks they might like irish music p-l-a-n-x-t-y um they were just this amazing band in the 70s um that really inspired me to to take on the project because um the mandolin player in the band had spent some time in bulgaria and he introduced sort of those Balkan odd meters to Irish music. And hearing that, first of all, because I was a jazz musician, you know, the sort of nerdy side of me just went, oh, I don't know. listen to the, the sevens and thirteens. That's amazing. <laughs> and I wanted to get into that. Um, but also I said, oh, so you can put other stuff in Irish music and it still sounds great. Um, so we do, uh, the first track on the record actually is called The Blacksmith. And that is this fella, Andy Irvine, who went over to Bulgaria. That's his arrangement that I've just sort of augmented a little bit. So I thought it might be useful if you could kind of take us on a little walk through a couple tunes on this record so that folks can get a more specific idea uh, about some of the source material you started with and then what you decided to do with it uh, from there. Sure. Um, Well, I'm going to talk about Frost is All Over. um, which is a Cayley tune, from what I understand. It's, it's, it's an Irish dancing tune that has words, which is actually really quite unusual, because Cayley bands don't usually have singers. But I read in Planksy's liner notes, they said, we found this song and it has words. And Isn't that unusual? And they, 
And uh, and I, I love this song. You know, I, I did as much sort of watching these things on YouTube as I did uh, listening on albums. And there's there's a great clip of of Johnny Moynihan singing the Frosts all over. So I would check that out if you like this. Um, and if you don't like it, you might realize that you like that. But uh, so what I did is I took this and I put it in like a, I guess a sort of seven four rhythm with triplets, or you could call it twenty one eight if you wanted to hurt someone's feelings. I guess <laughs> if you wanted to bore someone to death, you could call it twenty one. I think it's in twenty one eight. And um, we did a couple of sort of groups of four and three, and. And then we then we we use these drone boxes called shrutis, which are actually all through this record, to sort of underpin it. And we changed the harmony. And I had this line I wrote that that went through and stayed the same. And I really just liked the way this came this one came out. It was sort of a nerdy math project that my wonderful band then took and really made uh, fantastically musical. And I was thrilled with that. So let's check it out. So that was The Frost Is All Over, and uh, take us through another one. Um, well, I'll talk about Fold, which actually follows The Frost Is All Over in a seamless, trackmarkless uh, transition. Or you are good. hidden track. Oh, man. And uh, Fold is actually not Irish at all. Fold is a song by a singer-songwriter I really like named Jose Gonzalez, who uh, just sings and plays guitar and is very minimalistic. And... Um, and it's really worth checking out if people haven't heard He's it. Yeah, he's just wonderful. And I saw him at the Nokia Center like two years ago. And I think pulling away from there, I said, I really want to do Fold. Uh, because to me, I could hear it being Irish. It's sort of modal. And I could hear like a like an alien pipe playing the line that he sings. I could, you know, I could hear like a big Irish ensemble playing it. And then I promptly arranged it for no Irish instruments at all and put it on this record and it almost feels a bit Indian because we've got the drone boxes again and Rogério and I are both playing Pandeiro, the Brazilian tambourine and um, it's Joe just sang the heck out of it and I'm really happy with it. Once again, I, I understand that the Irish influence may not have translated all, at all on this one but it's one of my favorite tracks on the record. Thank you. 
And now the third one that I know because we've already discussed this that uh, you're going to take us through. I'm going to let you pronounce. Uh, this one's called Bin Fajin, and that means the wife of uh, Fajin or Faden. I it, I say Faden because I think it helps people understand. It's P H A I D O N, and this is another one I learned from Planksty. Um, and I know it in Gaelic, and uh, if you speak Gaelic, please don't be offended, but it's just sort of... It's just this sort of bleated, um, just sort of repetitive song that I felt, you know, was very calming and Irish and quaint. And then I looked up the lyrics in English one day, and it's all about this woman who loves this other man's wife... Uh, who loves this other man wanting to kill this other man's wife. And I love the Irish because they'll just very quietly, very humbly, and sort of unassumingly drone out these songs of just terrible, horrible depravity, you know? And then I hit her in the face, and she fell down the stairs. They're just so... They're ne- and then I died, and then my father died. And they're so horrible. And the accompaniment is always so just sort of threadbare, and often quite happy. And so I just thought, what if I really tried with a lot of, you know, figures that I write, but also a lot of really open improvisation, what if I really try to sort of musically represent this woman going crazy over this guy? And uh, I think the the band did a really good job, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. And actually, that's a uh, a great segue into why we're talking about this record on this particular show. Um, because uh, to me, one of the things that is kind of a hallmark of what you've done with this music is that it allows for improvisation and that there's a, an element of a really strong element of group interplay. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how improvisation played into this uh, recording? Sure. I was kind of working on the theory, and I, I think I still feel pretty good about it, that the stronger the source material, material you work with, the more completely out there you can get, and it still works fine. You know what I mean? Like, 
to me, if I see somebody play like a, a jazz standard with a lot of really nice harmonies and you know a lot of two five ones and and all these things, and there's a lot of freedom, it, it can be kind of hard to hold on to. But if you have something really, which is not to say it can't be done, done well, but if you have something really concrete that's two hundred years old that you're just not gonna you're not gonna blow a hole in the side of it no matter what you do. To me, you can get really loose. So I really encouraged everybody between verses um, and, you know, in intros and outros and wherever, just play whatever you hear. This music can take it. We're not going to get confused. You know, we've, we, all, we all played together so much and we just really trusted each other. And I, I really think that's, you know, for, for fairly open improvising, I think that's the most important element. You know, is trust and just sort of gall, like much, and you know, and of course, listening, but so much more so than, you know, a really high-minded plan or a really advanced knowledge of harmony or anything like that. You just have to trust each other that everything's going to be all right. Was it necessary for the other members of the band to have uh, to be as well versed in the source material? Oh no, no. Joe, Joe and I listen to a lot of Irish music and. Joe's aunt was a folk singer in Australia who sang a, a lot of um, Irish music. So she knew a lot of songs. Not necessarily the ones we did, but she's very familiar with the style. Keith Gans is married to, uh, to Kate McGarry, who's one of, you know, like 11 Irish Catholic siblings. And I went to him and he said, oh, what does Irish music sound like? <laughs> and it was only after the record that I got him to come out to a pub and actually hear the music. Like, he's never heard it. But I just knew that... Keith has this ability to just sound like he invented whatever style of music he's playing. It's really quite, you know, bebop session, you know, free sort of 80s fusion. It just doesn't matter. He can do it. And then he just professes to have never heard that kind of music and have no interest in it. It's maddening. Um, Rogerio, I played some things too, but I really, I was interested in, in, in the Brazilian elements in this being very natural. So I sort of just wanted him to do naturally what he would do as a Brazilian. I mean, which is not to say that that's all he is, but I didn't want him to suppress his instincts as somebody who comes from playing Brazilian music. Sure. Which is interesting because I, I don't want to fall into the trap as the interviewer of kind of over-categorizing this music. I mean, in many ways it is just its own thing, no matter where it drew the source material from. I mean, it's not... It's not gimmicky. It's just oh, an good. honest, yeah, you know, an honest I'm glad representation. That's not what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you play these tunes live, uh, do they? Does the nature of them change? I mean, or do they? Is the structure strong enough that they're all pretty recognizable as uh, kind of from the record to a live experience? The nature of them will change a little bit, but the record is pretty representative of how we've sounded as of late because we played so very much. Mm. You know, I did not explain very much at the recording session because I made sure that we, that we played uh, gigs for about a year and a half before we recorded. I just said, I honestly said to myself, I said, I'm going to get this first gig and then I'm going to get some more and I'm going to make sure I have, I don't know, at least one every month and a half or so until my recording session, which is going to be on X date. And uh, I feel kind of confident going forward in my life. That's how I'm going to do it because it was great. I just walked into the studio and I said, okay, everybody remember, you know, what we did? Let's do it. We actually had a, a fairly bad gig about, about a week before the recording session, which I highly recommend <laughs> because everybody sort of went home and practiced. I went home and practiced. We sort of, you know, thought about, do I really know these arrangements? And 
It, it went, yeah. So have a bad gig, kids. That's stay in, stay that's in school. Great advice. Yeah, yeah. Professor Ship's have advice a bad on recording. Gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did you grow up, James? I don't. I I grew up between uh, Baltimore and Washington, and a little bit in Bavaria, uh, from ages six to ten. Um, and that's the truth. That's not a James no, no, Ship no, style. No, no, no. I'm not <laughs> joking. My dad, my dad worked for the government, so I I was in Bavaria from six to ten. Um, and otherwise, I was in Columbia, Maryland. And when did you first get introduced to jazz? I suppose I started listening to Ray Charles at around ten, um, and it, you know. But I think it was the the thrust of it was in my the thrust of it. I think the, the one of the big moments was playing in my high school jazz band mm. and just having that moment of thinking, could I do this when I wasn't in the band room with Mr. Dutro? Is it is it possible that I could actually like do this at home with my friend who plays bass? And, I, and did that, you play vibes or drums in high school or both? Or, I played both. I played both um, in like the high school big band and all that. But I always kind of knew I didn't want to be a, a drum set player because I just was terrified of that much responsibility. And I just thought, especially in a big band, you know what I mean? You really are driving the bus. Yeah. And do you know any bus drivers? Like, <laughs> it's a hard job. They don't seem to love it. Like, I, I was just not that into the whole idea that, like, everything was on me. I loved playing what was on all the high school charts as auxiliary percussion. That was great. Right. Hit a cowbell, hit, 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 then walk over here, eat a sandwich, <laughs> then play some bongos. I like you know, it. play the vibraphone, which women are really into generally, I think. That's great. I didn't realize that, yes. that, that correlation. That's Ask fantastic. a woman to say, I want to go where the vibraphone is. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's uh, this is really it's proving to be much more instructive it, than I had imagined. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's a very family friendly. Uh, this is a kid centered show. I think we Absolutely. just distribute this in the schools. Stay in school. <laughs> I would say, yeah, yeah stay, that's good. Stay in school. Play the vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's, yeah. yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, well, if you if you play the vibes, you kind of have to stay in school for a long time because <laughs> exactly right. there's no other <laughs> well, work to, to be had. Find a gig. Yeah, <laughs> I know I did. Um, I, I find uh, that. Percussionists, uh, people, percussion instead of a standard drum set uh, is something that's always appealed to me ever since I started listening to music. And I wonder, um, does it does it change the way you have to listen or function in the band when you don't have, you know, a hi hat and a snare and a bass drum, and you can't? In many ways, you it's more difficult, I would imagine, to kind of push the band in a direction, except subtly or in a nuanced way. Maybe I'm totally wrong. On that. I think that's true. I think that's true. It's it's actually something. It's it's. It's funny. I think Rogerio on on this recording and when I play with him is so good at that. And it's something I've been doing recently. Uh, is 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 playing in that role in other people's bands, which helps me just understand how good Rogerio is at it. Uh, yes, I think I think you're a little bit less able to push people because you don't just have a big, you know, bass drum of doom and a ride cymbal of terror. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. I you have a little bit less artillery, and also just. Uh, I think people fall less into the roles they're used to mm. when you have that. And then that's what I really love about Nosnovu. Maybe even more the, that I get to play Irish music and that I get to, you know, play these Brazilian things is that it's not just another band with bass and drums. As much as I love good bands with bass and drums, I know when I play with a bass player and a drummer, I play a certain way. And maybe I play the same way I did, you know, last night as I do tonight because I just know, you know, how it's going to go on some tunes with those guys. 
And with no bass player and no drummer, like everyone's job is up in the air. You know what I mean? Like what you're supposed to be doing at any given moment is kind of uncharted, which is exciting. It's also a lot of work. You know, we sweat on those gigs. But um, I really think I I become a better musician when I don't have my sort of, you know, my swim fins on, you know, my my safety stuff of the bass and drums. Have you played this record for the people that you do the more traditional sessions with? And if so, what's the response been? I, I've I've played it for the accordion player, and actually, he's sweet. He he really likes this tune I wrote it wrote on it called "When She Is Away," and he says he'll listen to it up to track seven, and then he'll just keep repeating track seven, and then he falls asleep. So they had, he hasn't heard the whole record to my knowledge, <laughs> but I think that's a lovely sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I played it for Eileen Ivers, a, a fiddler oh, wow. who uh, I know through Joe, and yeah, I, it's been very positive. It's a it's a pretty open scene. It's I mean, it's a lot like jazz. Like, sure, there are people who are, you know, fairly, you know, are purists about things and want things to be a certain way. But there's plenty of people who aren't. There's enough people that there's room for there to be people that way without sort of messing up the whole thing for everybody, if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a good response generally. When you when you're gonna play a gig with this band, how do you what do you tell a club owner it is? Who I tell a club owner um you know, that it's Irish music, that it's Brazilian music and I, I kinda say singer songwriter a lot mm. because there's a lot of focus on the singing and on the stories, you know. Early on, I think I was—I sort of had an ego thing where I didn't want, you know, oh, people are going to think it's Joe's band, but you know, it's it, but it's it's much less un—it's uh, much less unusual, much less unusual. Hey, it's and m- that's pretty un- unusual. It's more <laughs> usual. This must be terrible to listen to. Oh, I'm no. sorry, folks. <laughs> it's more usual stay in, in Irish school, music. Study English. Yes, stay yeah. in school. To have a singer in the band who's not necessarily the leader, sure. you know, and in Brazilian music, it, it, you know, there's more of that as well. So. I tell people it's it's more about stories, mm. and I don't really like to use the word 
world music as much. Because I just don't know exactly what that means. But neither do I. It always sounds condescending. Uh, yeah, it always just sounds like really. I thought that was just Vietnam. No, it's world music. <laughs> it's just made in one. It's one village in Vietnam. No, that's How right. is that? No, it's world music. Um, but Nate Chinnon called it, uh, if I may. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Time at New York. Uh, when they when they did a little blurb about my CD release, they called it uh, worldly, which I was very flattered by. I'm not going to say like that's exactly what everyone should say, but I like that idea that it's you know it's coming from an awareness of a lot of musics. Mm. Do you think the storytelling aspect um, makes it easier for people to kind of access it emotionally? Or I think so. You know, I've realized. I love playing, you know, music that doesn't have singing. I, lo- I, I don't, instrumental music is a, a funny term. I don't know why to me, but I love playing music with other guys who just play their instruments, and I'm playing my instrument, and, and that's great. But I think I've realized that most of the most of the ambitions I have for creating music as a leader will probably involve singing. Both my parents are singers, and I just really, me and everyone else on earth. I connect to the human voice and to people saying words in a language I understand very strongly. That's a, a shock, I'm sure, to most of you listening. <laughs> and um, I just believe in the power of that. And I don't want to sort of turn my back on it just because I play an instrument and I'm not necessarily a singer in, in my projects. I want to embrace it. Is there further to go with this band? Do you have ideas for kind of what the next stages of this music might be? I do. I do. I'm very interested in bringing in some of the traditional Irish players I know as special guests. I'm also interested in bringing in a lot of the jazz players that I know as guests. But I'm very interested in working with guys who mainly play um, jigs and reels and seeing just seeing how it goes and what we can find. And if this thing of as long as everybody trusts each other, you can play really open, see if that holds with traditional players. I think it might. There's also, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to do 10 albums worth of, you know, just every Celtic culture on earth gets an album. But there's a lot of, you know, there's Celts in Spain, there's Celts in France, and the musics are all subtly different, and I'm interested in all of them. It seems like, uh, finally, that, that people are talking often about how to revitalize improvised music by finding interesting rhythmic things to do with it. And this covers the spectrum, I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, the inclusion of hip hop and things from that culture um, or the various, you know, quote unquote world musics, but, you know, rhythms uh, not necessarily traditionally used in jazz. Sure. Um, and this particular one seems like it's fairly unexplored. I mean, I can't really think of too many other examples of people using improvised music that's over, uh, these kind of rhythms and song structures. I, I think that was, you know, I think that was one of the things that was appealing to me about it. I thought, well, I really like this music, and I don't think I can do a sort of balcony, you know, uh, Jewish music project better than John Zorn or Dave Douglas. So let me take, you know, this, ryth- this, this music culture, which I really like, and these rhythms and these textures that I think are fairly, you know, um, below everyone's radar on the jazz scene and try to bring them forward because I think they're beautiful and I think they relate in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of very there's a lot of African feeling mm. in the rhythms used in Irish music that people, you know, because they're English speaking white people, people sort of assume that it's um that it's more of a I don't even know what you'd say, more of a like a more of a western European thing. But there's a lot of very 
almost Arabic sounding elements in Irish music. So I thought, well, there's, this is going to work, I think. Yeah, I agree that it does work, and uh, I think the album's fantastic, and I thank you for spending some time to talk about it. Oh, thanks so much, Jason. This was a thrill. That's music from James Ship. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. Thanks to my friends in the Respect Sextet for the opening and closing music. They're at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City on January 12th. You can find out more at respectsextet.com. And opening for them will be Ethan Iverson of The Bad Plus. And also, according to the Facebook and Twitter world, many people from the jazz world who I've never actually met in person before will also be at that show, uh, including former guests on this program and uh, people from record labels that I've worked with for a long time and never met. So it looks like it's going to be a, a quite a hoot on January 12th at LPR at the site of the former Village Gate. Once again, respectsextet.com for all the data there. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the logo, and thanks especially to you 
for listening to each and every program. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.